Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we're continuing our series that we started last week called Asking for a Friend. And the series is all about trying to answer tough questions that maybe we don't always talk about in church. And we started last week. And if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen. Um, It was a challenging message to preach, and it was probably a challenging message to hear for a lot of people. Uh, But we talked about the topic of homosexuality, and we answered a lot of questions in that regard last weekend. So if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. You can download the podcast from iTunes. Uh, You can um, watch the video from the archive on our website. But uh, get caught up from last week. I, I think that could be helpful for you. And this week, we're tackling another difficult uh, question. Last night as I was out in the lobby, there was a guy that was coming in and he stopped me and he said, this week isn't as hard as last week, was it? No. I said, no week is as hard as last week. So don't worry. And you could see this like visible relief on his body like, oh, okay, good. And so I want to warn you, today is not nearly as difficult as last week was or as Um, as tension-filled, but it's still a tough question that I think a lot of us deal with. And I want to remind you, if you want to be part of the series, you can simply text the word asking and the number four to the number 555-888. It's there on the screen. You can write that down. If you think of a question this week, feel free to text us. Uh, So text asking four to the number 555-888. You can be a part of this series. So the guiding principles for this series is that we're not going to engage in in arguments that are just designed to cause disunity. That's not what we're going to do. According to 2 Timothy chapter 2, that's not what we're supposed to do. So we don't do that. Uh, What we see in John chapter 1 is that Jesus came to earth and he came and he was full of grace and truth. And that's one of the things we want to do is speak grace and truth anytime we're preaching the gospel. But that should be one of our highest goals, especially during this series. Ephesians chapter 4 says that we should speak truth in love, and that's part of um, being full of grace and truth. And so that's really what we're doing during the series. So one of the questions I get fairly regularly, and uh, we've gotten through this series so far, is the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And I'm sure you've wondered that, because maybe you're the anomaly, and maybe nothing bad has ever happened to you before, and if that's you, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, But the truth is, bad things happen to all of us. And In our culture, we want to assign reasons to that. But the truth is, um, the question isn't really why do bad things happen to good people. The question really is why do bad things happen to me, right? Because when they happen to us, when, um, when, when tragedy comes our way, that's the first question, why, God? Why is this happening to me? And the, one of the questions I got that really stuck out, to me, uh, stuck out to me this week, or this last week, was this one. I'll read it. And if you wrote this question, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It says, I've always been a good person with good intentions, and I have God in my heart. I lot, uh, a lot of completely terrible things have happened in life that I never would deserve. Why do these horrible things keep happening to me? I'm a good person. And, and <clears throat> to understand why bad things happen to good people, we have to look at our mindset and our framework a little bit in order to understand biblical reason for why bad things happen to good people. So let me start with the way we think about things first. Uh, It goes all the way back to 1776, the uh, Declaration of Independence. If you remember civics class, it says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, 
liberty, and pursuit of happiness. There you go. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It doesn't get any more American than that. And just understand, um, I am not pressing back on the Declaration of Independence today, okay? Um, this is something that's foundational in our society and in our country, but something has happened that, that in our, in our, and I'm going to use the word secular, and I don't mean bad, because secular and Christian are, are different, but secular doesn't mean bad, it just means non-Christian. So in our non-Christian culture, um, the highest goal, the highest achievement we could aspire to is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so as a result, the, the culture we live in today, um, our highest goal really is the pursuit of pleasure and personal freedom. That's what we want just about more than anything. And, and, and I would tell you that this is contrary to the Word of God in many ways because uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is very materialistic. And it is very much about what I can have, what I can experience, what I can acquire. Um, and those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. Uh, but there's a problem when that becomes what satisfies us and what brings us happiness and what brings us peace in this world is getting more stuff and living out the American dream the American dream, having 2.3 children and the white picket fence and the, right? Yeah, 0.3, nobody has 0.3 kids. Based on intelligence maybe, I don't know, but what I'm saying is that's the average and we all aspire for those kind of things in many ways. But this is a trap because what happens in this view is, um, is we're focused on what we see. And what we see in just a little bit, and what we'll walk through in Scripture together, is the Christian ideal isn't about what we see, it's about what we don't see. In fact, in Christianity, we're cautioned to be careful about what you see in judging things by, by their appearance. And in our world that we live in today, we judge everything by appearance, don't we? Well, like, look at Instagram, and if somebody is living their best life on Instagram, we go, wow, look at that. But no, don't judge things by their appearance, right? Because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But this is the, Christ, this is the, the American ideal we have set up. And, and the reason this is a problem is because in this materialistic world that it's all about what we can have and accumulate and experience, um, suffering is a problem. Because in that, in that ideal Suffering is little more than an obstacle to my happiness. So if, if our goal is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, just being happy and suffering comes our way, it is nothing more than a, a, a roadblock to getting to where I want to go because where I want to go is, is happiness and lack of suffering and comfort. That's what I want. That's my goal. Does that make sense to anybody? And so one of the problems in societies, and not just our society, but around the world, is suffering without meaning. And there is no worse place for suffering without meaning than living in a materialistic world where suffering simply prevents me from getting all the stuff I need or, or achieving the personal freedom I need to be as happy as I want to be. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> That's the answer. So what happens for many of us is this has crept into our mindset, even as Christians, and when suffering comes our way, we can't assign a value for it, because if we can assign a value to our suffering, it helps us walk through our suffering better. So when suffering comes our way in our materialistic world, it appears that it is only keeping us from being as happy as we want to be. Why would this happen to me? Now, another part of this is 
that um, <clears throat> were largely influenced by um, Eastern religions. And if you don't believe me, probably you've heard the word karma before. And karma is this idea, and I'm going to boil it down as simply as I can, that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And this, in, in sociology, they call this a moralistic view. And so what's happened to this is this moralism has, has kind of gotten into our materialism, and it's kind of bled into the church. And so now we believe that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Therefore, if bad things happen to me, then I'm either bad or God's unfair. And I would say this again. Um, Life's not fair. (laughs) I tell my girls that all the time. It is not fair. Why do bad things happen to good people? But really, don't we get a little ticked off when good things happen to bad people too? When the jerk in your office gets the promotion, and you're like, they don't deserve that, right? You get fired up. And this is what I know, according to Scripture, is that life's not fair. That God is good, but life is not fair. And so when we encounter suffering, when we encounter these kind of things, we want to assign value, and we go, to, wait a second, why is this happening? It's not fair, it's not right, I'm good. And I understand that, and that's just where we're at, that we go, I'm, I'm a good person, I don't deserve whatever you're going through. And so I want to frame why we think the way we think before we get into the biblical truths that I want to walk with you through today. Tim Keller um, He's an incredible leader, uh, pastor, um, he's done all kinds of incredible things for the glory of God, uh, but he's written a bunch of books. One of the books he wrote that I think would be helpful for you on this topic is called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, and this is a challenging read because there's a lot of philosophy in it, uh, but it is a good book if you want to go deeper with this topic. Now, this is what I would tell you. As we explore why bad things happen to good people, there is not there is not an easy answer that you can throw out to your friends at funerals. Because what we're going to talk through is still somewhat unsatisfying if we want the fair argument or if we want um, the true meaning of suffering that makes everything end in a, a, you know, like a, a Disney movie at the end where they all lived happily ever after. It doesn't happen exactly like that. And so it might be somewhat unsatisfying for you today, but the simple answer for why bad things happen to good people is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where sin invaded and it changed and it interrupted God's plan for planet Earth. So let me read this to you. This is all the way back in Genesis chapter two. Uh, God is finished with creation and he has this conversation with Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. Now, I want to stop right there. I just want to point this out. This is bonus coverage for this message. Some people think work is a result of the fall. Work is not a result of the fall of man because of sin. Work came before sin. God told man, get to work in the garden, right? So I just want to encourage you gently in this. If you don't work, God can't bless you. Now, I understand if you can't work because you've got a physical disability or whatever it might be, but if you just don't work because you're lazy, you're 35 and living in your parents' basement, playing video games all day, I want to speak truth to you. I don't know if this is in love, but I'm going to say it with as much love as I can. Get to work. Okay. 
won't talk about that again today. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you surely shall die. So what he says is this, hey, you've got free reign, but here's your, here's your limitations. You can't eat the, tr- the fruit of that tree. If you do, you will know death. So he made it very clear. Fast forward, God created woman after this. Um, and fast forward to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the truth is, he didn't say that, right? He said, you shouldn't eat of any, uh, you shall eat of any of the trees except that one. So he, he twists God's words. In verse 2, it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now what the the serpent said to Eve is not too dissimilar to what he says to us today. See, he, he was causing Eve to question God. Is, is God really good? Because if he was good, why would he keep you from having something that would be so good for you? If he really loved you, why would he, why would he keep something from you? Is he really all-powerful? Because if he was... He wouldn't be afraid of you eating this because he knows if you do, he'll, you'll be just like him. And so he's speaking to their pride a little bit. He's speaking to their, their heart a little bit. And what he's really asking, and I think the thing that, that the devil tempts us with many times today even, is this question, is God holding out on you? Is God withholding his best from you? Is he keeping you from experiencing all that you really need to experience? maybe God could prevent this. Why isn't he preventing it? Maybe he's not good. Maybe he's not powerful. Maybe he's holding out on you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. This is the consequences of the fall. Because Adam and Eve, they they stepped into sin because they rebelled against God, there were consequences. Uh, For Eve, there was pain in childbirth and there was tension in relationship with man because God said that she would want to rule over her husband and, and he, would, he would rule over her. So there'd be this tension in authority and leadership. And then in verse 17, he said, and he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the, of the tree that I commanded you, of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the way, it says you shall eat of the plants of the field. I'm a firm believer that salads are part of the fall of humanity. That if it wasn't for sin, none of us would ever have to go to a salad bar ever again. Verse 19 says, By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, <clears throat> for you were taken from it. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So this doesn't sound like a big deal in and of itself. You go, oh, okay, so there's some thorns and thistles coming out of the ground. But this is what I want you to understand. God had, he had crafted perfection in the garden. There was no death, there was no suffering, there was no pain. There, There was no hard labor. So the earth brought life 
What he created brought life. And what happened is sin entered in by man and woman voluntarily rebelling against God. They invited sin into the world. When sin entered into the world, it fractured and it broke what God intended. So because of that, everything in our world was impacted. Everything in our world was changed. Um, Our hearts, our emotions, our bodies, our relationships with people, even our relationship with nature itself stopped working the way it was designed to work because of sin. So when we see these thorns and thistles, what it does is it illustrates to us that, that there was life previously, the earth was intended to bring life, that, that life is what was present, and not that sin eradicated that or snuffed it out, but what we see is thorns and thistles come in and into the place where there was fruit and flowers. So now these two are intermingled together in the life we live. There, there is life, but now there's also death present. And this is a picture for the life we live today. Because there is great joy in the life we get to live, but it is intermingled with great sorrow. There is life, true life, not just existing, not just breathing in and out, but there's true life found in this world through Jesus Christ, but it's intermingled with death. So this is a picture of what we see in in the garden. This is a picture of what we see... um, as a result of sin, that, that there is this intermingling of these two things that we navigate through. And so when we ask the question, why do good things happen to bad people? The simple answer is because sin entered the world. And, and we as believers are not immune to suffering simply because we said a prayer or we raised our hand at the end of the service um, or because we are going to church every weekend, that stuff does not cause us to be exempt from suffering. And so I want to talk to you just a little bit about what suffering looks like for us today. The first thing I would tell you is this, suffering is guaranteed. (laughs) Doesn't that encourage you? (laughs) You Put that, you know, get that embroidered on a pillow, you know, put it, oh, suffering's guaranteed. I just want to remind myself, right? Suffering is guaranteed in this life. See, some of us, we became Christians because we thought we could escape suffering, but at the end of the day, suffering is part and parcel of what we do as Christians because it is part and parcel of life. If we exist on planet Earth, we exist in a fallen world, and suffering is part of that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says this, you have... You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. He had enough pain and suffering that he can tell you all the places it happened, right? Which, Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, listen to this, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be, will be. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Did you hear that? If you're a believer in Christ, you're going to be persecuted. But the people who are deceivers, the people who fake it, they're going to keep going from one evil to another, just living their life, doing their thing. That doesn't seem very fair, does it? 
Like, wait a second. I'm doing the best I can here. I'm showing up to the 9 o'clock service the weekend after daylight savings, right? It's not hard. I mean, it's not easy to get babies out of bed for the 9 o'clock service the weekend after daylight savings. I'm I'm serving. I I finally went through growth track like Mel's been bugging me to do for weeks after week after week. I went, right? We went through the list, and we go, and I'm being persecuted. I'm suffering. I'm dealing with junk in my life. Why is that? Because I see people who are not trying. They're not not ever going to church, and they seem to be blessed. They seem to be doing their thing. It doesn't seem fair, and I will tell you, it's not fair. We were never promised a fair existence in life. Ever. What we're promised is heartache. What we're promised in this world is sorrow. What we're promised is disappointment in our circumstances at times. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 through 45. He says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. What he's talking about here is common grace. He's talking about uh, God loves humanity so much that he blesses, blanket blesses humanity. So he sends sunshine, not just on the just, but on the unjust. He sends rain to bring growth and development from the ground, not just on people who are righteous, but those who are unrighteous as well. It's common grace. And you go, well, that doesn't make sense. It's not fair. What we want is like that, that picture, you know, in in movies where it's just raining on one person and everybody else it's sunny, that's what we want. Like, that's fair, God, right? <clears throat> if you've been around church, you might have heard a pastor quote from Isaiah where God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah and he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Has anybody ever heard that before? And we usually use that to help people understand that God thinks differently than we do, that his thoughts are far above our thoughts, that his way of thinking is a way that we don't understand. But I want to help you understand this in context a little better. So let me read more of this passage. I'm going to start in Isaiah 55, verse 6. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So it's saying let the wicked person stop being wicked. Let the unrighteous man stop being unrighteous. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion, that the Lord may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my way, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is what God says. God says, <clears throat> hey, the, the person who's far from me, don't call them evil and judge them because you're better than they are. Pray for them that they can come back to me, is what he's saying. Now, this is my paraphrased version. What he's saying is, I love the evil person as much as I love you. And that doesn't seem fair, does it? We go, well, of course, God loves all people. Let's make this more personal. Think about the person that you would call your enemy, the person who's betrayed you, the person who has hurt you, the person who fired you, the person who, whatever it might be. Think about that and realize that God says, I love them as much as I love you. And all of a sudden, this feeling in the pit of our stomach goes, no, 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 this isn't right, right? Because we go, they're evil, I'm good. This is what God says. He says, pray for those that are evil. 
that they can come back to, to me because I love them as much as I love you. And I know you don't get that. I know you don't understand that, but I want you to know something. My ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In fact, just as different as heaven is from earth, that's how different our thoughts are on this matter. So I know you don't understand it, but pray for, that's what he's saying. So, so what God is helping us understand is um, suffering is part of our existence and we probably won't fully ever understand it. Because quite frankly, God's thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Truth is, Jesus suffered. We see Jesus suffered from birth, from the time he was born. He was born in a manger. He uh, was known as the son of Mary and, and whoever in their society. He, he probably had a label put on him. He was betrayed. You think the, the pain of the cross was difficult to bear? It absolutely was, but he understood the pain of betrayal that all of his friends, the people he poured his life into, turned and ran when things got bad. He had to endure the cross, the crucifixion, the beating, the suffering. And what's even worse than that, when Jesus prays in the garden, let this cup pass from me. He's not talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about the weight of the world's sin that rests on him. He says, let this cup pass from me. What we see is he's praying and he's so, he has so much tension and so much, if I can say it this way, anxiety about what's about to happen that he's literally sweating drops of blood. And in Mark 14, he says this, my, he says to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death Remain here and watch. He's in the garden and he says, guys, I want you to know, you don't understand what's going on, but, but my soul is sorrowful to death. I feel like I'm going to die because of the, the sorrow that I have in my heart. So I want you to know something. Those nights that you've laid in your bed and thought, I feel like I'm going to die because of the sorrow that's in my heart. We serve a Savior who understands your sorrow. He has suffered like you have suffered. And he says, just watch with me. Just, just stay awake. I know it's late. Can you just stay with me? I just need you to be with me. And he goes and prays and comes back and they're all asleep. He goes, guys, guys, guys. I get it. It's late. Can you put pretty please? Just stay awake. This happens three times. He is a man who knew sorrows. Isaiah 55 talks about this, that he is a man acquainted with grief and sorrows. And I won't read that today, but Isaiah, I'm sorry, 53 verses 2 and 3 talk about this. John chapter 16, verse 33 Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. In the world you will have tribulation. It is guaranteed from Jesus. And then he says this, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, when things are going well in our life, we have this illusion that we're in control. We think we've got it all under control. Life is good. And then something bad happens unexpectedly and it wrecks our mindset. When pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see uh, not only that we are not in control of our lives, but that we never were in control of our lives. So we begin asking questions like, God, are you really good? God, are you really powerful? God, why would you let something like this happen to me? God, are you holding out on me? Because if you're good and you're powerful, why am I dealing with this situation? And this is what I would tell you. Suffering can draw us closer to God. If you're taking notes, that's the second point. Suffering can draw us closer to God. I didn't say will 
draw us closer to God because the truth is we get to decide if we lean into Christ in our suffering or not. Because I've seen a whole lot of people deal with suffering and it drives a wedge in their relationship with God because the questions they ask don't, don't lead them back to God, but actually lead them away from God. When they say, God, are you really good? They come to a point where they go, I don't think he is. And they walk away from the relationship with Christ. But I'm telling you, if we, if we follow what scripture says and we follow the character and nature of God, it will always lead us back to the throne of Christ. When we say, God, are you really good? It's always gonna take us back to Christ and his suffering for us. The price he paid for us. So we get to decide how we respond in our suffering and how that suffering, will, what it will produce in us. If God is good, why am I going through this? A, f- a few years ago, well, gosh, 13 years ago now, uh, Abby, my oldest daughter, she was just little. She was three, three and a half, and we were uh, with some family members, and she was playing, and she fell and hit her head, and it was a big gash, and it was bleeding like crazy. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, <laughs> bleeding like a stuck pig? Okay, you people are rednecks just like I was in the South, so they use that phrase in the South a lot. So she was bleeding like a stuck pig. I mean, it just wouldn't stop. So we took her to the ER, and it was a big gash, and I assumed they'd put stitches in. They did not. They put staples in, and um, it's six of one, half dozen of the other, I guess, and so when you're three, though, it's hard for them to understand. She knew what staples were, and when we told her they're going to put staples in your head, she was like, uh, come again? What's that you say? <laughs> And uh, she was not very excited about that, the, the prospect of her head being stapled. And uh, she got excited, and they had to hold her down, and I had to help hold her down. And they had her head, and I had her head in my hand pressed against the bed. And they, she was laid there, and she was looking in my eyes, and she was sobbing. Daddy, help me. Daddy, make them stop. Daddy, please. And I'm a big softie anyway. I'm a softie about you guys. I'm a huge softie about my own baby girl. And my heart was broken because there's nothing I wanted more than to go, no, stop. I got this. She's with me. I'm not going to let you do this. But I know as the father, as a, as a, as a, grown adult, the only way for this to be healed is to apply some staples to the back of this girl's head. So I had to tell her, baby, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm here. I'm here. I got you, baby. I got you, baby. So fast forward a few weeks, and we had to get those staples out. And they said, oh, it'll be an easy process. It was not an easy process. (laughs) We were lied to and deceived. And they couldn't get the staples out very easy. And we just rewind back to that previous, daddy, don't let him. Daddy, it hurts. Daddy. And I would have done anything to trade places with her. I would have done anything to take away the pain. But, but what she didn't understand was that the, the, the pain that she's enduring is ultimately going to bring healing. So if you let the professionals, if you let the doctors do their work, the, the suffering you're enduring is ultimately going to lead to healing on the other side of it. And I'm telling you today, if we submit our hearts to God in our suffering, and God, this hurts, it's painful, what he's going to say to us every single time is, I'm with you. I'm with you. Daddy's got this. I'm sorry. There's healing on the other side of this if you'll just trust me. But just know God's heart is broken over our suffering. He's not joyful about it. He's not indifferent about it. 
but he's trying to get something to us through our suffering. I want you to understand this. I've said this before. God doesn't cause cancer. He doesn't cause car wrecks. He doesn't cause divorces. He doesn't cause sickness and illness and disease. All these things are, are produced from or result from the ultimate fall of man. And God is, God is doing what he can. He's doing what he will in our lives to make things right. I'll get to ultimately what he's going to do in a minute. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Psalm chapter 34, verse 17 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. This is what it's saying to us, saying we are going to go through sorrow and pain and hurt, but we are never alone in our sorrow and pain and hurt. God is present with us. So we may never have a full understanding on why I'm going through this, but we can understand there's healing and wholeness on the other side of this if it's submitted to God, that I can trust him through this and that he's with me. This is what it says in Isaiah 43 too. When you pass, remember it says when, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. This is a promise. When this happens, and then he promises, I will be with you. The waters won't overwhelm you. The fire will not consume you. What we see in Scripture over and over and over is fire is used and the flame is used as uh, an illustration for suffering in our lives. And so we see this over and over and over again. Uh, and what we see in 1 Peter chapter 1 is that the fiery furnace is used to des describe suffering. Uh, in, in biblical times, a furnace would be what we know as a forge today. Uh, a furnace wasn't what they used to heat a building. Uh, a furnace is what they used to, um, to, to um, form metal into objects that could be used. So what we have to understand is this, a forge can be dangerous because of the intense heat. It can destroy, no doubt. If you gave me the tools and said, Mel, can you go make something with this forge? Do you know what I would do? I would destroy something. Because I don't know how to use the tools. I don't know how to manipulate the fire and the metal to make something beautiful. But what our Heavenly Father does is he will take the heat, he will take the fire, he will take that which we think will destroy us, and he will create something beautiful from it. And this is what... Uh, this is what uh, this is what a person does who knows how to use these tools properly. It doesn't destroy, but it actually shapes and refines and purifies and beautifies. That's what our Heavenly Father does. So when we walk through the fire, we have to understand we're not going to be burned. We're going to be reshaped. We're going to be remade. He's going to beautify us. He's going to reform us into the image that he needs us to be, that we need to be. And that's what happens in the hands of a master. I'll tell you this, and suffering can draw others closer to Jesus too. Because as we suffer well, and God brings us through the fire, people see that in our lives. I don't know how you handled that like that. Wow, that's incredible. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 say this, Blessed 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Did you hear that? God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. God doesn't cause us to go through the problems and the suffering and the fire we go through in our lives, but I promise when we do, when we submit it to God and he uses it for his glory, one of the things he wants to do is help us comfort those who suffer the same way we suffer. He wants us to be able to go to them and say, no, 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 we survived this. You can survive it too. That's part of what God wants to do. The last thing I'll tell you real quickly, suffering is not permanent. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. In the Passion Translation, it says, let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. What this is saying is, um, it's easy for us to rejoice when things are good, isn't it? I got a pay raise, woohoo, let's go out to dinner. Let's celebrate. God is good. You get the pink slip that says you've been laid off. We go, oh, God's not good anymore right? And what this is saying is, hey, we rejoice always. We understand that our rejoicing isn't in our circumstances, but in it's, in it's in our God. And we say, God is never changing. So man, God, I'm going to rejoice in you, whether I get the bonus or whether I get the pink slip. And God, my praise will be continual no matter what, because it's easy to praise God when things are good, and it's hard to praise him when things are bad. But we have to understand that our suffering is not permanent, it's temporary. And when we, when we do that, when we understand it's temporary, it makes it easier for us to praise God in our trouble. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and also in Psalm 90, it says something to the effect of a thousand, God, to God, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. And if you've been around church, you may have heard that. Um, so the good news I would have for you is this. Um, your, your suffering is temporary, but temporary might mean something different to God than it does to us. <laughs> Isn't that an encouragement to you? God might say, hey, guess what? It's only going to be a day. But to God, a day is like a thousand years, right? But what we see is God actually lives outside of time. That his view of time is dramatically different than ours. Remember, his way is higher than our ways. I believe he lives outside of time. And so for us, when we think about our life and we think about the 80 or 90 or 100 years that we have on this earth, and we think that is a long time, we have no concept of a long time because God is eternal. Okay, so he's thinking in terms of eternity, and we're thinking in terms of a life, a human life, which is a breath. And so when we think about suffering, I think, man, I couldn't suffer like this my whole life. But again, this comes back to that materialism. We think life is what we see and what we feel, this fleshly body. But what, what we know in the spirit is I've got a spirit that will live for eternity. And so we get so focused on suffering in this world. But what I think God wants to see is, no, 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 the suffering in this world is momentary. Even if we suffered for 100 years, the suffering of this world is momentary compared to eternity. See, we're slaves to the immediate with no understanding of, of the eternal. And God is less interested in our earthly joy and more interested in our eternal joy. 
2 Corinthians says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So he says, we are jars of clay. We are common vessels carrying an extraordinary God. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death, uh, in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This comes back to that idea that there is life and death in us. And what he's saying is, um, you are a, a, a common vessel carrying an extraordinary God. You're carrying the glory of God. So what makes you valuable isn't you, it's what you carry. So we do not lose heart, verse 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, if you don't believe that, look in the mirror tomorrow and you'll see, oh yeah, I'm wasting away a little bit, right? A little more hair is gone, a little more hair in my ears, whatever it is. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's not about what we see. It's about what we don't see. For this light momentary affliction, did you hear that? This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This, this light momentary affliction, this, this suffering, this fire that I'm walking through is preparing me for eternal glory in God, that I can be a vessel of his glory forever and ever and ever. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's about having the right perspective. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 and 4 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Don't you love that? That the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is talking about the new heaven and the new earth. That the old earth is gone. That the broken creation is no more. God is going to renew us, renew earth, make it something else entirely. And that is what he originally intended to be. So what we see is a God who says, I see your pain, I see your suffering, and I promise I'm taking care of it. I promise there's there's an answer to this. It's on its way. I, I promise I'm not going to let injustice go on forever. I promise I'm not going to let your pain and suffering go on forever. He's going to take care of it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says this, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When I read this verse, um, I thought about, um, there's a, Japanese art form called kintsugi. And um, what it is is they take broken pottery and they repair it. And um, does anybody remember Brady Bunch? It connects, I promise. Um, So you remember the episode of the Brady Bunch where they were bouncing the ball and they weren't supposed to in the house? And the ball went down the steps and it broke the mom's uh, vase. And they were freaking out. How do we put this back together? How, how will she not know that it was broken? 
all these kind of things. And that's typically what we want to do when something breaks. We want to say, how can we repair it in such a way that nobody knows it was broken? And I will tell you this, even for ourselves, um, when we go through something, we go, how can I make sure nobody knows that there was an issue, that I'm still good, that I still, right? That I'm not, we don't want people to know we're broken. Because if they know we're broken, they might look at us differently. And what Kintsugi does, this art form, it actually takes broken pottery and it puts it back together. But what it does is it uses precious metals like gold or silver to highlight the broken areas. And so what it does is it repairs the pottery, but it does it in such a way that it beautifies the brokenness because they understand that the brokenness of that pottery is part of that pottery story. That that pottery wouldn't be the same without the brokenness. And so it highlights the brokenness instead. And so when I hear this verse, this is the first thing I think of. That what God is going to do is he's going to repair us, restore us, strengthen us, renew us. What he does is he beautifies the broken areas. So when we say things like, God, why would you let this happen to me? The answer is because we live in a fallen world where sin is present. God is not an innocent bystander. He's not sitting by wishing he could do something. He is doing something. He's bringing healing to people who are dealing with brokenness. He's, he's bringing restoration to them, but ultimately he's gonna make all things right. He's gonna restore all of creation back to himself, reconcile it back to himself, make things the way he intended for them to be in the first place before sin and rebellion entered into the world. So if you're here today and you're suffering, I want you to know something. You're not suffering alone. You're not walking through the fire alone. You're not walking through the flood alone. God is with you. I believe he's standing here today saying, Daddy's got you. Daddy's got you. If you're here today and maybe you've lost your faith in God because of something you've been through, I just want to encourage you in this today. God hasn't given up on you. He's still a good God. He's still a God that can be trusted. So if you're here today and you're wondering if you can trust God, give him another chance. See what he will do. He will prove himself good. He will prove himself powerful if you'll simply trust him. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you today. and We're so grateful that you love us. We're so grateful that you are a good God. We're grateful that you are a powerful God. And God, I just want to say I'm sorry for the times that I've walked through difficulty. I've walked through the fires of my own life and I've questioned you. I'm asking you today that you'd minister in our hearts minister in this place. Lord, you take those that are brokenhearted and bind up their brokenness. God, I pray that you would help them see that you're at work in their lives. And Lord, let us, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, submit our hearts to you so that you can use that fire and use that heat to create something beautiful. You can take our brokenness and you create something beautiful from it. Because ultimately, that's a testimony not of us and our strength in the, in the brokenness, but of your goodness to restore in spite of us. So God, I, I pray today you would open up our eyes. You'd comfort those who mourn. And for those that are here that aren't in relationship with you, God, I pray that you would bring them to you. Draw them, help them see how truly wonderful, how truly beautiful you are. So God, have your way with us. Now, with no one looking around, I just want to ask if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not really serving God, but I know I need to be. And whether you're serving God or not, we're going to walk through fires. And maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm, I've walked through some fires, but the difference between me and a Christian is I'm walking through the fires alone. 
And I, I want God to walk with me through my trials, through my suffering, through my pain. I need that. I can't do this on my own. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, that's me, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I don't want to walk through the fires alone anymore. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? Then you can put it right back down. Is there anybody who'd say, that's me, pray for me, Mel? Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Thank you. Yeah, thank you on my left. Thank you. Who else would say, that's me, pray with me? I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I'm tired of walking through this stuff alone. All right. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me by paying the price for my sins by dying on the cross. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Walk with me through my fire and through my suffering and produce something beautiful on the other side. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, uh, you are a new creation today, and we want to help you take the next step. The simplest thing for you to do is to take one minute and fill the card out that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side of the card, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. Fill out the side of the card that says salvation and drop it off at our information center in the lobby. They're going to give you a free Bible, and that's just a way to help you get started on your faith journey. Uh, if you're watching online and you'd like to respond, simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we'll respond back to you and help you take the next step in your faith journey as well. Here's what'll happen right now. The worship team's gonna lead us in one more song. We're gonna sing together. And while we're singing, our prayer team's gonna come up to either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all today, no matter what it may be, find one of them and let them agree with you in prayer. And I just wanna encourage you, if you're suffering today, if you're here today and you're hurting and you're in pain, please don't leave here without letting somebody pray with you. We believe God wants to work in that moment. So take a moment and let us pray with you before you leave today. Um, so thank you for worshiping with us. Stand your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time after we're done singing. Steph McCoy's our missions and outreach director. She'll come up and she'll close this out and dismiss us. But guys, I tell you often, I hope you know it. I love you more than you know. And I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. Have a great day.